We've been talking about the mission and vision of Shoreward Church of God. We do this twice a year uh, in January and in August. We kind of kind of recap what we're doing because we want um, to keep that in front of who we are and all the decisions we're making and, and the, the different activities we're up to. Make sure we, we're keeping the, the point of all of it in front of us. And um, so two weeks ago, we talked about REACH, our, our mission here uh, at Shore Church of God is to reach, grow, and serve the community for Christ. And so two weeks ago, we talked about reach and what it looks like to strain into the community because we don't want anybody to be left out. We want to find people in the messes and the junk that they're in and say, hey, we've got a way for this to be better. There's a Jesus out there. There's a God out there that loves you and cares for you and wants deep relationship with you. Uh, last week, we talked about grow and what it looks like to grow with our neighbors, uh, what, what does it look like if we grow with our community? If we say, hey, we're on this journey and we want to be with you on that journey. And so today we're going to talk about serving. What does it look like when we say we reach, go, and serve our community for Christ? What does that look like <clears throat> when we serve? And I'm having a, an attitude shift on this. Um, not necessarily that I had a bad attitude. Uh, you can ask my wife if I had a bad attitude. She'll, she'll tell you. But I, if we have a bad attitude towards it, but an attitude shift on what it looks like to serve. And I don't know if that's because of, of the work. I know it's because of the work that God's been doing uh, on me this fall. But I have always looked at serve as, okay, how do we help people jump on to getting involved in a ministry at church and getting involved in, a, in, in something like a, a mission project or a service project outside of church. And that was serve. It was a program. It was a thing to check off, to do. Now, a lot of us probably already still have, like, yeah, what's wrong with that? I get it. But the problem with that is serving can't be a, a thing that we do and check off and go, whew, I was a good Christian today. Nailed it. It can't be that. It's got to be a lifestyle choice. And so that shift is happening in me, and I, I want to bring you along for the ride in that, because I think if we look at reach, grow, and serve, like, oh, I reached. I invited one person to church this week. Oh, I went to life group, or I read my Bible for 10 minutes this one day on this week. I grew. Check. And I served. I did that thing in the back with the kids, or, you know, I went to whatever <laughs> multiple on-ramps of serving opportunities we have. Check. Oh, I'm a great Christian. Nailed it. And we see this in the scripture. We see this going on in the scripture. People are looking, what does it mean? How do I become a good follower of you? Or how do, how, what does it look like? What boxes do I need to check off? And Jesus is, it's not the point. Of, no, you, got, you missed it. Cart, horse, bat, wrong order, all kinds of bad stuff going on. And so as I've just been reflecting on this and, and, and working on it, what does it really mean to, to love people? What does it really mean to step into their story and help them get to grow? What does it really look like to step into people's mess and serve them? Now that is a lifestyle change. That is a heart change. That is a, a, a kind of almost a DNA type rewriting of who I'm going to be and who I'm trying to be. It's not something I check off a list, but it's who I am. And so as we look at the mission and vision of Shoreward Church of God, we say it, we have it on screens all over the place. It's, it's printed on basically everything that we, we send you. But it cannot be. a That happens at that place. It's got to be I'm a part of that. 
And there's a definite difference in the way in which we look at how we reach, grow, and serve our community for Christ. The mission of the church is not the mission of this building. The only place that we reach, grow, and serve in Shorewood cannot be just this place at this time at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. That's not the mission just of this building. It's not the mission of the staff. It's not just the people who get paid by this place. They're the only people who are supposed to reach, grow, and serve. It's not just the elders are the only people who are supposed to reach, grow, and serve. Rather, it becomes a life mission, a life calling of everyone who calls this place home. You see the difference in that. If, 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 you, if you come into this place, it is who we are as a family, who we are as a collection of believers, that we are trying and striving after reaching people for Christ, growing people, growing with people in Christ, and serving people in Christ. You see the difference in that? It's an, it's an attitude shift. How do I become part of that? How do I step into that? How do I make this my mission, whether I'm at church on Sunday morning or I'm at work or I'm at home? How do I love the people around me in, the, in my cul-de-sac? How do I reach, grow, and serve them? How do I reach, grow, and serve my family? How do I reach, grow, and serve the people in the, in the uh, cubicles around me? How do I reach, grow, and serve the people from all over this country and this world? How does that look? How does that change kind of our default position? It can't be just a box we check off. It's got to be something that we are. Do you see the difference in that? For me, it's, 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 it's rather jarring and rather shifting in, in, in who I'm trying to be and how I'm trying to lead. Lead in lifestyle, not just in box checked off. Right? I'm, I'm a good box checker off. Give me a list that I'm supposed to do, and is there a more satisfying feeling in the world than taking a big old Sharpie and... Marking that off the list. The problem with a lifestyle change is you don't ever get to mark it off. It's just who you are, and you got to keep on coming back to it, and you got to keep on coming back to it, and you got to keep on coming back to it. So you got to give yourself little like checkpoints of things like you feel that completion. But um, it's just what it is. But it's a lifestyle. Serving as a lifestyle is only possible when we grab a hold of what Jesus is doing in our life and want to live it out. If we say this morning, oh, I'm going to serve. I'm going to serve at every single thing that the church has. I'll be involved in 18 ministries at church, and then that will be it. And I will be serving as a lifestyle. It'll be great. Serving is an overflow of what Jesus is doing in our lives. Because I've met a lot of bitter nursery workers, right? Like there's a lot of nursery workers, and they're like, changing diapers again at church. And that's what church becomes is a diaper changing time. You know what? I would get bitter if I spent 18 years Changing baby's diapers every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. That would, that would probably be, make me a little cranky. But what happens is when, when you, you're, you're, you're changing diapers or you're, you're cleaning the church or you're serving in the kids' ministry or you're serving in the youth ministry or you're working on the care team or you're working at like, all the different ministries that we have going on around here, when, when it becomes an overflow of what Jesus is doing in our life, the whole attitude behind all of it changes. It's not a have-to, it's a get-to. You see the difference in that? And some of us, we've been doing it for so long that it became a have to. We can just be real with that, right? I have to clean the church. Once a quarter, the staff cleans the church. Like, and I have to. And then every time I got to be like, you know, shut up, Jared. Quit your whining. If I remember to do it, usually I kind of accidentally leave that for Yvonne and Kevin. Accidentally, I promise. Um, but uh, so <laughs> they just get Starbucks next week. It's okay. Uh, so... <laughs> But um, 
you know, we got to check our spirits in that. When it becomes a have to, it's not a, when, when a ministry becomes a have to, when serving becomes a have to, whether it's in the community, whether it's in your neighbor, whether it's with your family, whether it's in the church, if serving is a have to, whether that's preparing a meal for your kids, they have to eat three times a day. It's, it's important. Okay. When it was a have to, you could do that. Or it's, a, I have to go to the church and do these things. We have to check our spirit. And is this, is this coming out of an overflow of what God has done in my life? Or is this because I'm just trying to check some sort of box? And we have, to, we have to make sure our priorities are in line. That doesn't mean get rid of uh, serving at church. That means check your spirit. How am I doing this? I'm, I'm telling you, if you come out of the overflow of all that God has done in your life to serving at church, you, a whole different spirit, whole different attitude happens. It, it just changes. And so uh, that takes some hard self-reflection. We can't just, we're not earning our salvation through serving at church. We're not earning, you know, brownie points anywhere. But what it is is a reaction to realizing all the beautiful, wonderful work God has done in our lives and he continues to do in our life. There's a guy uh, in the scripture who asks these questions. He's, he's dealing with some, some issues. I think he's, he, he, you can tell he's close to understanding uh, what what God wants for his life, but he's still kind of in that box checking mode. And uh, maybe you find yourself there this morning. Luke chapter 10, verse 27 to 35. You can put a finger there. We're going to be there for a while. Um, it's our text for this morning. But what's going on in Luke? Luke is a gospel, which means it brings the good news. It's the story of, uh, of Jesus and all his teachings and miracles and death and resurrection in uh, a condensed form, one of the four Gospels in the Scripture. So Luke 10, he answered, uh, guy asked Jesus, uh, this man asked Jesus, what, what am I supposed to do to be, to be saved? What does this look like? And Jesus answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, actually, sorry. He asked that. Jesus asks a question because Jesus never answers a question straight up. He always asks another question because it's a good didactic and frustrating uh, way of teaching people. <laughs> and the guy answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Right? That's a hard question. So the guy is close. The guy is close, but he asks this clarification question, and we do that too. My son, who is eight years old, asks great clarification questions. I, he started kind of doing this little talk back thing, and I said, buddy, you can't, you can't just do that. You can't just pop an attitude. That's, that's, that's so disrespectful. Do not do that. What you want to do is ask a question. Like the best thing you can do with the right countenance is ask your mommy, mommy, I understand, but why am I doing this? Daddy, he doesn't ask me questions. He's like, yes, sir. <laughs> but, but we have a different relationship, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, so, but, but mommy, mommy, what, why, why am I going to do this? Because he wants to know the letter of the law. He's got to have it all figured out so I know that I'm in good graces to do whatever it is to get that brownie or to have more TV time or to play on dad's iPad or whatever. I got to, you know, check the boxes off, right? right? And so he's, he's asking this clarification question. And Jesus is like, it, it's not about 
the checking the boxes. It's about what's going on inside of you. And so, so for many of us, I, I'm falling in the same spot. The head knowledge, the love the Lord your God with all your head, uh, heart, mind, soul, strength, uh, that stuff, just it's right there. Okay, yeah, 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 I'm supposed to do this, I'm supposed to do this. I can, I can quantify those things. I can, I can make those things happen. But then he says, and... This is a huge and, and, and we leave it out all the time. American Christianity has gotten really good at leaving out this and. Love your neighbor as yourself. We can really, as, I don't like my neighbor. They, they don't cut their grass enough. They, their leaves blow in my yard. You know, whatever is going on, I don't really like them. So I'm going to go back to loving the Lord. The problem is you can't love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. If you're not loving your neighbor, that's a problem. They're together. They're intertwined. Because one is the box checker off of her, and the other one is the lifestyle. And you see how those, those mesh beautifully together. That's a problem. It's a problem for all of us. We have to work through that. So when it looks like how we reach, grow, and serve, it means that we are taking all the head knowledge and the stuff that we learn through reach and then grow and on Sunday morning and life groups and all the other opportunities that we have. And serve is the outpouring of what God is doing in our life, loving our neighbor. So the story that Jesus says, and it's an inflammatory story. It is a story meant to stomp on as many toes as possible. It is like he would have taken this guy's toes and kind of with the sandal, you know, that would have hurt because it's not a steel-toed boot, and just kind of rubbed on it because it would have stepped on every single person's toes that would ever heard this story. And it should step on your toes as well. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down to, from Jerusalem to Jericho which is a scary part of town. This is where the Valley of the Shadow of Death is. It's about a 20-mile journey, except it's crazy switchbacks, nuts. I thought I was going to die. Like we were in a van, like a Chevy van, and the, uh, the, the tour guide, when I got to go to Israel, my dad is, was a larger man than he is now. He's still a big guy. He's 6'5", um, but he's, he was a larger guy then. He's, he's done some removing of himself. And, um, and I, I was scared to death because my dad's looking out over the, in the chasm of the valley of the shadow of death, the actual thing that David is talking about is right there. My dad's like, Ooh, sticking his, like, get your weight on this side of the van, please. <laughs> True story. I was scared to death. I was like, plastered over. He's like, look at there, there's a sheep. I don't care about those sheep. I've seen sheep before. 18-year-old Jared. That was 18-year-old Jared. I'm telling you, I was scared to death. Um, but so you had to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, which is, uh, it was a bad place. It's scary. It's really, really, really deep canyons like this. And they're just, they're sheer cliffs. And robbers like to hang out in the, in the uh, caves all throughout there and hijack people. The problem is Jericho was a pretty good side trading meto- metropolis. Uh, and Jerusalem is a trading metropolis. And so you got to go back and forth. But if you're traveling by yourself, you're going to get jumped. So that's what's going there on there. And this is, so he's, he's setting the stage for the sketchy part of town that everyone had to walk through, right? You always went through this part with guards, and apparently this guy uh, did not do that. <clears throat> so a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road when he saw the man, and he passed on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now, underlined Samaritan. 
because this is important. So if you could figure out a whatever your um, let's say whatever your racial check is, like people have racial problems. I, that's not news to anybody in here, right? Okay, we we have, we have racial issues. You may not have problems with. Uh, you may be okay with African Americans, and that's that's not a racial thing. You may be okay with uh, Latino people, and you're, you're okay with that. You may be okay with white people, and and that's okay. But then there's uh, you know. Pygmies in Africa, you got a problem with. I don't know. Whatever, you've just got this, you've just got this this racial check that you know you've got to work through, right? You've got this issue that you gotta ah, I gotta push through that one. I don't know where that judgment mentality comes from. I don't know why I have that thing there. Maybe I was taught it, maybe it's just I don't a bad experience. I don't know where it is, but I've got to work through that. When he says the word Samaritan, every Jew in the area automatically went, okay? The the did I adequately describe that for you? It's viscerally, the, all the, the wah, 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 warning signs, whatever happened in their heart, heartburn started to happen when he said a Samaritan. <sighs> if you could think of a more racially charged sentence, you, this is, Jesus is, let's get him fired up because he knows exactly what he's doing. So the people that all Jewish people are trained to hate because what the Samaritans have done is taken half of a pagan religion and half of the Jewish religion, married them together, and now they're kind of, and they move the, the capital city of, uh, of their religion away from the temple in Jerusalem to a different town. And so the Jews just hate them. They're seen as this half-breed uh, heretic religion that they just can't say. They will walk miles and miles and miles and miles out of the way so they don't even have to see, talk to, or touch, or do business with a Samaritan person. Does, do you understand what, what's going on here? This is bad stuff. So Jesus is like, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. So what does he do? He he embodies this lifestyle of loving, serving his neighbor. How does he do it? There's three different ways I think the Samaritan captures that. That's, that's something that we need to, to incorporate in our own lives. But you see what Jesus is doing there. He's taking the, someone that, I don't want to love this guy. So who is the neighbor? The one, who, the one who helped. He won't even say the Samaritan is the guy that helped, if you read on in the, in the scripture. He doesn't want to make the Samaritan the hero in the story, and Jesus is pointedly making the hero of the story. Who's my neighbor? Even the people I don't like. Who's my neighbor? The people I don't even agree with. Who's my neighbor? All the people I yell at on Facebook and Twitter. They're my neighbor. What does he do? First thing he does is he notices. He notices. He notices the issue. He notices the problem. He notices, out of his lifestyle, he notices the guy on the side of the road. It would have been really hard. Like, I'm telling you people, the road to Jericho is a one-lane highway of one person. Is it probably what you're walking on when you're going to Jericho is actually a sheep 
road that they've cut into the side of the mountain. This is not like some four-lane highway with a big ditches on both sides. You're like, oh, yeah, I could just easily mosey on by and not see this guy. No, those, that Levite and that priest had to do one of these. Like, ooh, don't touch me. That's what they had to do. They, had to, like, they would have seen the, the, the blood pool. They would have seen it. It's not like rain came in Israel and washed away the evidence. Like, they would have seen the, the, all the, the residue of the, of the scuffle, of the smugging, of the whatever you want to call it. They're right there. And so Jesus is using all that imagery because everyone there would have walked that road and been like, oh, that's bad. And so the first thing he does is he notices there's actually an issue. That Levi and the priest, and I'm going to be honest with you, sometimes I fall into that category a lot more than I'm comfortable with saying. Like, I notice there's a problem. Keep on acting like you don't see it. Right? Just keep on going. Here's a problem. Somebody else will take care of it. I'm not really qualified to change a tire on the side of the road, so we're just going to keep on going. Jimmy and I have tried to stop and change, help people change tires. They get really freaked out when you stop. They're like, get away from me. I'm going to shoot you. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay. Uh, so now, now this is what I do. I roll up and I'm like, do you have a phone? Yes. Okay. Because if my wife with my kids is on the side of the road, guess what? Her phone is dead. I'm going to tell you that right now. Uh, that's her spiritual gift is killing batteries on phones. Uh, so <laughs> you're in here today. I get to make fun of you. Uh, so <laughs> um, anybody want to go to lunch with me? Cause I'm not going home <laughs> with my family. <laughs> uh, right. But that's, but that's, that's a reality. Cause my wife can't be the only person whose phone is perpetually dead. Right. And so I, that's what I do. I go like, Hey, is your phone okay? You call for help? No, we're good. All right, then we, we, we go on. When I remember. But often it's like, eh, they got a phone. In my own head, I make excuses for them. It's not that bad. They're okay. What? You don't know their story? He notices. He notices. You know, those guys, the priest and Levite, might be like, that dude's dead. He's he dead. He's gone. He's gone. He, you know, they could have already been judging that whole thing. I don't, I don't know. Second thing they do. Or he does. He takes action. And this is, the, this is the start of how this is a lifestyle that just isn't a box to check. He takes action. He goes over to the guy. He starts cleaning his wounds. He starts taking care of him. He, he puts it on a donkey. He takes him. He, he puts him up for the night or the week or whatever that's going to be. He takes care of the guy. He takes action. There's often a lot of us, we're in the same boat as the priest and the Levite. We notice the problem, but we stop it there. Like, oh, man, that really stinks to be changing a tire at midnight in the rain. Well, just going to keep on going, right? Like, that's, that's where we're at or, or whatever that looks like. Oh, man, I, my neighbor is really going through a hard time right there. Good luck with that. Whoop, pull the blinds down. Oh, and we, we have those, those issues. We have those things. We can think about that for a couple seconds where we're just noticing issues but not taking action. He takes that step and says, okay, I'm going to get into the ditch with you. I'm going to take action. How do we need to replicate that in our own lives? Taking action means I've noticed the problem and I'm stepping into it. The third thing he does, and this is beautiful, is he gets dirty. He gets dirty. Like there's no sterile environment here. He's got mud encased on his head wounds. He's got the blood just, you know, everywhere. And so that guy takes out his oil and his wine or his vinegar or whatever he was using as his cleaning things and starts scraping away the junk and 
cleaning this guy. He's sacrificing and putting it on his donkey. Now he's got to walk. And this is the hard part. And sometimes the part when we talk about serving, oh, serve with teenagers, they said. They said it'd be fun, they said. No one said they'd be crazy, uh, right? Like, no one, serve with this ministry, serve with that ministry. No one, oh, there's, ooh, that's hard. You start living a lifestyle of, of service, I guarantee you, all of a sudden you go, whoa, people are messy. In fact, we're doing a, um, we're doing a series just in, uh, next week we're kicking it off. It's called Disoriented. And disoriented is all, it's actually about how messy our elders are. <laughs> We've taken stories uh, from three of our different elders and videotaped them and uh, about how their mess has been, woo, uh, kind of thrown for a loop in their life and how God has, has reoriented them through their disorientation. That everyone in this church has gone through a moment where you're either going, wee, I don't know what's going on in life, or you're coming out of disorient, uh, dis- being disoriented. You're either disoriented at this moment, or you're coming out of it. There's, like, no steady ground, right? <laughs> Once you got it figured out, w- hold on for about a week, and then you're going to be wee again, right? And so that's just how it happens. And so this guy is actively getting into this guy's mess. Can you imagine, like, if you took someone to the hospital and be like, oh, yeah, I got this covered. Whatever you need. That's a big, that's a, be a big deal. And this is what this guy's doing. He's taking him to a place and like, here you go. Here's a down payment. I'll be back. I'll cover whatever's the rest. Like, he's just fully bought in to this lifestyle of I am serving. And that's what we've got to encapsulate in our own lives. Is that when I, if I say I'm going to serve my neighbor, I'm going to serve my family, I'm going to serve my community for Christ, that I'm buying in fully to what God wants me to do in their life. And that is going to be messy. It's messy enough in our own homes, and it's messy in our neighbors' homes, and it's going to be messy when we do mission trips, and it's going to be messy when we do all kinds of other stuff. But it's going to be messy, but it's going to be worth it. Because if we're going to love the Lord your God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and we're going to love our neighbor as ourself, that means to say, I'm going to live a lifestyle that's willing to jump into the mess. And that's what God has, he has wired us. He has made you unique so that you can jump in different people's messes than I can. Like, Jimmy is totally wired differently than me. If you talk to us for five minutes, you know this. But he, he, he has a unique capacity to talking to other people's messes and, and stuff that he's experienced that I've never experienced. And I, won't, I, don't, I don't have that. Perry's the same way. Laura's the same way. You guys have, diff- you're wired in different gifts to step into people's messes and say, hey, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to be with you through this. See, we design on ramps to serving, but a lifestyle of loving your neighbor is up to you. What do I mean by on ramps to serving? Uh, on ramps to serving here at the church, there is a multitude of ministries that you can use your gifting, how you're wired um, maybe things that you just, you just like to do, you love to do. God has put that in you. Um, there's multitudes of those opportunities here at the church. There's a bunch of opportunities all throughout the year, whether it's with uh, Morning Star Mission or Joliet Cares or uh, with Restoration Church of God up in Aurora, all these different ways in which we, can, we serve. But we view that as a church, as a serve team. We view those as on-ramps. They just get you up to speed and hopefully birth this this lifestyle of wanting to serve. Do you see that? what that is? Because often I've been like, oh, yeah, we went Morningstar Mission. Check. We served. 
I can, I can prove it. It became objective instead of subjective. And that's not how I want to look at these things. They're on-ramps to serving and to loving our neighbor. Uh, we are, I want to bring to you, we're launching a new ministry uh, next Saturday morning, uh, 9 o'clock. Uh, we're going to have, uh, it's, a, it's a men's ministry called Helping Hands. And we're going to serve uh, cholesterol-laden foods uh, for all of you that want to come. Um, there is no better way to launch a men's ministry than be like, hey, bacon. Uh, so, <laughs> or more, the only, only better thing is more bacon. Um, so, with a side of bacon. Um, no turkey bacon allowed. Just going to throw that out there. Um, <laughs> fastest way to kill a men's ministry is put turkey bacon then somewhere in there. Um, but we're starting, we're starting this ministry called Helping Hands. And what it is geared to do is to take the talents and the gifts of the men in this church and say, hey, you know what? I can help you. I can fix that thing. I can do this thing. I can, uh, we, we as teams can gather together and we can build that. We can help. And so we want to start out slow and help people inside our church. But that's basically the test run to figure out the, how this all works so that we can go and love our neighbors. Okay, so that's going to require all kinds of different things. We have no idea how it's going to go. We have no clue. Isn't that cool? Like, we don't know if this is going to be the biggest flop in the history of flops. We also don't know if this is going to be a catalytic event that just changes Shorewood uh, forever. Like, I no clue. And I'm so excited about it. All right? Uh, so uh, if you want to be a part of something really cool like that, um, it doesn't matter. Listen, listen, listen. I've been a professional uh, screw hander to Paul Graff for five years now. That's, that's my job title. So you can't have Paul. You can have Perry or one of the other guys. But, uh, but, but then, literally uh, what I do is I follow him around the loft, moving his ladder and holding him screws. Uh, you know, a five-cent butter container could have done the same job I was doing, but that's okay. I was valuable. Uh, so, but we need, we need butter containers. I mean, we need people to hold uh, all those things. So if you're going, Jared, I have no gifting in that. Um, yeah, you know what? We can use you, and you can learn something. And it's a part, just as much about as the guys getting together and, and helping people. It's about us growing together as well. Um, so um, if you're interested in that, be here um, next Saturday morning. And I'm so excited about that. Anyway, um, so we want it to become a lifestyle. That's an on-ramp. But once you start serving people, you're going to go, oh, wait a minute. I could do that here, and I could do that there, and I could do this here. Huh, how about that? It's a lifestyle of serving. So we want uh, you all to get involved in that. Um, that's that, this next week. I'm so excited about it. <clears throat> all right. How do we do this? Serving moves our faith from our head to our heart. It moves what we know and puts it into practice. I know a lot of stuff, a lot of useless, useless, useless information. Right? I know a lot of junk. But what happens when I get to put it into practice? And so that's what serving actually does to our faith. It says, all right, you've been learning about all these things. You've been reading the scripture. You've been praying. You've been, you've been listening to messages for years and years and years and years and years and years. What does it look like when you put it into practice, when the rubber meets the road, right? When I'm dealing with somebody's mess and I'm like, ah, no idea how to handle that one. And that's okay. You know, one of the most spiritual things you can ever tell somebody is I have no idea. Just the sheer honesty of wow, I don't know, but I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray through this. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to walk with you through this. So, like, because if I go, oh, well, what, uh, what I did when my 
life was ruined is I did these three things. And so if you do those three easy steps, you should be perfectly fine. That's not going to resonate. But, hey, I'm going to walk with you through this mess. I'm in here. That's a whole lot more powerful. Do you hear what I'm saying? So can you say, oh, everyone in here can say, I don't know. Right? There's a thing. Everyone is now equipped to surf. <laughs> right? so, so there we go. Um, the first thing we do is we practice compassion for your neighbor. Practice compassion for your neighbor. Practice compassion for your neighbor. Actually care about what's going on. Now, if you have room left in your uh, worship folders, draw a little tic-tac-toe board on it. And I want, uh, there's kind of two different neighboring ideas that I want us to talk about. The, the tic-tac-toe board, if you can fill out, if you've been a part of this church for a while, if you can fill out the tic-tac-toe board and the people sitting in the seats next to you, do you know their names? This is a little, it's easy, easy conversation starter. Like, I, I'm sorry, I've got to fill out my tic-tac-toe board. Pastor Jared said so. What's your name again? Like, you, you can do that. Everyone's got flu- no judgment, no judgment zone. You, you can ask that. But then how can we fill that out? Do we know their hopes? Do we know their dreams? Do we know their kids' names? How, can, how far can we fill out that tic-tac-toe board? You don't fill out a tic-tac-toe board if you don't have any compassion for them, if you don't care. Like, can we say that? If I have a tic-tac-toe board, the same tic-tac-toe board of my neighbors, in my actual neighbors in my neighborhood, I can fill out about half my tic-tac-toe board. I know them real well. Other people, I, st- I don't even know their first name. I don't even know what they look like. There's a guy across the street. Mm. My, Troy talks about him all the time. I have no clue who the dude is. Because like, I, I don't, I don't practice, practice with him. How do we practice compassion for our neighbors? We've got to step into that. That's the first way in which we, we do that. A lot of us, we, it's kinda, we go in a home, we drive in. Why we get frustrated in a, in a, on, the, on the freeway is because we want to get inside that garage so badly. We just get in there. I'm safe. <laughs> right? But we've got we to gotta understand the people around us are important, and we need to, to practice compassion for them. Second thing we do is practice presence with your neighbor. Practice presence with your neighbor. Practice presence with your neighbor. That means you have to be with your neighbor. Now, uh, my neighbor is in the room right now, which I, I'm amazed that they come to church here. Because being my neighbor has got to be one awkward experience. Like, I, I just, I'm weird, and that's what it is. You know, I'm, just, I'm kind of an odd person, and I understand that, and I claim it. Um, but, but practice presence with your neighbor. Um, my, my neighbor, we'd lived there just a few months, got invited to a party. We're like, oh, cool, we'll come to a party. Find out it's his daughter's birthday party. Like, oh, we've been crashing their birthday party every year since. <laughs> Love it, but practice presence with your neighbor. You've got to be with them. You've got to engage with them. You've got to be a part of their lives. Because you can't serve, like, oh, I'm going to helicopter in. I'm going to serve and save you. No, 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 no. You earn the right to serve someone by being with them. By being in the mess, practice presence with your neighbor. I love that. We had a, a little birth, a tiny little birthday party for um, for Lucy. My well, she's almost one, but we already did the one year old birthday party. Um, a couple was it two weeks ago? Um, because or last week? Because uh, <clears throat> family was in town for Christmas, so we went ahead and did it. But it was cool. The people, the other people that we invited to the birthday party were our neighbors. And so I don't feel slighted or anything if you didn't come to the pastor's birthday party. Um, 
But the people we invited to that were our neighbors. I've ne- we've never lived in a place where we'd have invited our neighbors to a birthday party. Never. Ne- never. I never would have, all growing up, n- from zero to now, never would have invited my neighbors to a birthday party. And that's who we were like, who are we going to invite? Oh, let's invite the little. I thought that was really, that was just different. Just to see in the room, like, ah, that's a difference. That's somehow God's growing me. And I think how God's placed people in our lives. How do we practice presence with our neighbors? So maybe that's a, a filter in which you even say, would I invite my neighbors to a kid's birthday party? Like, no, they are creepy. And fair enough. <laughs> it doesn't have to be that, but how do we practice presence with your neighbor? Um, and then finally, it fulfills your purpose. It fulfills your purpose. You get to use how God has gifted you. And when you get to use the things that God has placed in your uh, life, fulfilling your purpose looks like a few different things. The first is, God, when you get to act out on what God has gifted you, he, he's made you be able to be a this. Um, you just, you're more mechanically inclined, or you are more patient. You're a great listener. However God has wired you, when you get to use that in serving someone, you just feel like, wow, I am useful. And that's when you're, you're just, you can feel it in your soul. Like, Whoa, this is awesome. This is way more rewarding than work or any of these other things i got to do in my life. The second thing it does is God, when you start interacting and stepping to other people's mess, God leverages your past to reclaim your future and other people's future. You hear that? That that, that past, that, that anchor, that thing that, you, that you've been trying to get past forever and ever and ever, when you, step in somebody other, uh, when you step into somebody else's mess, you get to start leveraging that. Because those, the stories and the scars and the things you've learned from those experiences and how God has walked you through that, you get to now package it and deliver it at somebody else's doorstep. Do you see how that's beautiful? That now that all the mess from the ba- your mess and the stuff, when, when somebody came by and said, hey, I'm going to oil that wound and I'm going to help you through that, now you get to use it to help somebody else be able to walk again. You see how that works? That's what serving as a lifestyle starts to do. And that's way different than checking it off a box. You don't get to do that just by, like, oh, whoop, I showed up today. I did this today. And I, I'm be honest, for far too long I've operated in a, I want to be a box checker. But I want to commit to being, stepping fully into this lifestyle of what it looks like to serve my neighbors. Who's my neighbor? It's everybody. It's even the people you don't like. As we take this message, as we take this moment, as we examine Luke 10 and what God is trying to teach us in the Good Samaritan story. Let us look at our own lives and say, how do I become, how do I step into a lifestyle of service? Have I just been checking boxes? Have I just been, has, has been even serving at church just been a thing that I just got to get through? Do I need to check on my spirit? Do, is, is the way in which I'm serving an overflow of all that God has done in my life? Because if it's not, we have to take a moment, work through that, and fall back in love with, God, with what God has done in our lives. Let's pray this morning. God, thank you so much for today, and thank you for this time. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you're about. God, we ask you to be with us and guide us and direct us.
and shape us in all that we do. God, that you would be grabbing onto our heart, that you would pursue us with a reckless abandon, that you would, you would chase us, and that we would turn and step into your love, step into your grace, step into all that you are. And God, as I think about the people in my life and the people maybe I've been ignoring and the people that I need to, to step into and be willing to step into messes, God, that you would give me a lifestyle of service. That my heart would be broken for my neighbors. That my heart would be broken for my community. That we would fall deeply in love with the place that we live. But we love you. We praise your name. Amen.